And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I dive into the latest report of Kevin Durant reportedly being open to playing for the Philadelphia 76ers before diving into the listener mailbag. Going over our thoughts on the fifth starter, on who would be cut to trim the roster down to 15 before the start of the regular season, and on some under-discussed and underrated aspects of basketball. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. That's all I got. Just fine? It's the middle of the summer. Well, all right, all right I'm doing good. I mean, this is a good, quiet right. time for the Sixers, which is nice. It's normal offseason. The Phils are red hot, even though they might lose today. That's okay. Uh, and yeah, everything's good. good. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take good. I'll take good. That's better than fine. Fine was a little too... Little too down, especially when you have the Phillies winning what, like 13 out of 14. I'm doing better than fine. I have, we talked about this a couple times last year, a couple times previous couple years, where it's like late summer, early fall is just so much better when you have meaningful baseball. And I know the Phillies have had a couple of late season collapses here, so we're all a little hesitant, but I think we're going to have meaningful baseball and I'm very excited about that. So I am doing better than fine. Hopefully we can have meaningful basketball in May and June next year, but that's still a ways away. Yeah, they re- the Phillies really are just like a get get me through the summer at least, you know. Even if you don't do anything in September or October, just get me through the summer, and they have done that and then some. Uh, yeah, this these last couple of weeks have been a lot of fun. So speaking of the Sixers doing something in May and June of next year, there was a report from Ian Bagley of SNY. Basically, there's been a whole lot of stuff going on with Kevin Durant, obviously. Reiterated the trade demand, basically said it was either me or get rid of Sean Marks and Steve Nash. Um, And a lot of speculation and reporting now that he knew that uh, the Nets would say no to that. So it was basically reiterating the trade demand. Then there was Ian Bagley following it up. And the main addition, there were two things that seemed to pick up steam from that report. The first was that there was a Sixers executive who had a lot of interest in Kevin Durant, which of course they did. They have eyes as well. They do like Kevin Durant. Then there was another part that says, it's worth noting that in addition to Boston, Durant also sees Philadelphia as another welcome landing spot for people familiar with the matter. So that takes Kevin Durant's known list up from just previously Phoenix and Boston and adds Philadelphia in to that mix. It was Phoenix and Miami was the first two. Right? That's what I meant. Phoenix and Miami and adds Boston and Philadelphia to that list. Thank you for correcting me. Um, Miami is a tough spot to make it work because right now the Nets can't acquire Bam Adebayo and the um, Heat reportedly have no interest in trading Adebayo or Jimmy Butler, so you could cross them off the list right now, you would think. Things could change. There's been a lot of discussion with Boston, and including reports that Boston has made a package that was what? Jalen Brown, um, Derek White, and a first-round pick was, I believe, the reported package. 
There's been some haggling over a counteroffer to that that Boston rejected, yada, yada, yada. The Suns right now are sort of out of it because they can't trade DeAndre Ayton until the middle of the season. Was that January 15th? I think something in that range. Is it December or January? I always forget with those two. Whatever. It's. Um, I think it's January that he can't be traded until. I, I'd, have okay. to, I'd have to check. I'm not sure. Whatever. It's, and, it's one of those two. In the, in the winter, in the middle of the season, he cannot be traded correct. until. And Toronto has reportedly been unwilling to include Scotty Barnes, which you would think would be necessary to make their package work. So I guess recapping all of that, Rich Hoffman, first of all, a would you trade Tyrese Maxey? This is for some reason become a debate. Tyrese Maxey for Kevin Durant. And do you think there's a chance that that happens? So I would trade Tyrese Maxey for uh, Kevin Durant. The, the, and honestly, I think the, the way we're going to talk about this, I, you're not. Have, have, have you factored in Tyrese Maxey's clearly superior smile? Because he has a way better smile than Kevin Durant. Yeah. And I mean, he's doing the old KD thing. He's showing up at the rump and he's, uh, he's putting up a bunch of points. He's like KD at the Rucker circa 2011, <laughs> you know, basically as the, uh, you know, as the internet's favorite basketball player, Sixers Twitter's favorite basketball player. And look where KD is now. He's a grump too. So, I mean, hopefully Tyrese does not get to that point when he's what, 33, 34 years old, 33. however old, yeah. However old Kevin Durant is. Uh, I, I don't really think it's much of a debate because the way we'll answer these questions, we've kind of talked about all of the, uh, the aspects of this theoretical trade, you know, over the summer, whether we were talking directly about Durant or Maxi. And what I said for Maxi, when it comes to a trade package is it would have to be a top 15 player. And it would have to be kind of like an apex predator wing. And by the way, like, you know, I kind of say that where I'm, I'm just putting the, the general specifications on that. It's like six or seven dudes, and and they're the best players in the league. Guess who's one of those players? Yeah. Kevin Durant. So uh, I would, and I think when you um when you look at what the Sixers would give up, anything short of Joel Embiid, which they're not going to do, obviously, anything short of that, and and they're not going to trade Harden either. The Nets don't want him anymore, and uh, he just signed a contract too, uh, with I, with a no trade clause. Yeah, with the no trade clause. So, okay, whatever. You wouldn't trade those two anyway. You're trying to build out a team. And this is why I don't think it's going to happen. It's why when we the, the news of the trade request first broke, we said, I don't think the Sixers have enough. There is, I don't know, like, you could, you could put together any group of Sixers. And I know there was a joke yesterday about the, the group being at the, uh, yeah. Tobias's wedding. I where think it was, Tobias acknowledged it. I think. Yeah. So what? It, what's it? Tobias, uh, Niang, Thibel, and 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 and, 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 and Maxi. Yep. Sorry, obviously, obviously, Maxi. You can take anybody else from the roster. Obviously, the the free agents aren't going to go anywhere now. You could you could put together any sort of package, and I'd say sure, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I just don't think it's going to happen for a bunch of reasons. But well, you only you only asked. Would I do it? And I no, think the I, answer I, I for asked, me that was a two-part question. It was, do you okay. think there's a chance? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 get to you on that then. Let's we'll we'll dig into the second part in a minute. But I think for me, for those reasons, it's a pretty easy yes. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, and people who have been reading me and listening to this podcast and following me on Twitter, like they know I'm hyper focused on winning a championship. That's true as a fan. That's true as a journalist and analyst. I mean, I have right behind me. You can't really see it, a because 
we're not showing video of this, but also because my office is a freaking mess. But there is still my ticket from, you know, the 2008 World Series. Like you said a couple podcasts ago, and we said a couple times, I've got a, both a Phillies and an Eagles flag, championship flag, literally hanging in my office. Flags they, fly they, forever. They literally fly forever in the Bodner office. They do. Those <laughs> memories live forever. I was there for, you know, game five of the World Series. I was there for the parade. I was there for the Eagles parade. Those memories live forever. I was there for the Super Bowl. I was working, but I was kind of, that, that was one of the weirder experiences of my life. Cause the Eagles, I, I feel like the Sixers, yeah. most of the fandoms gotten beaten out of me. The Eagles, when I was helping out on that first year at the athletic and they let me go to the Super Bowl, which was awesome. That that's uh, quietly a fandom. I haven't <laughs> given up. So I was literally a nervous wreck. No, no cheering in the press boxes is the big J journalist that we are, but man, I was, I was absolutely <laughs> dying inside because I mean, what a game too. Like, you know, Brady throws for yeah, a billion yards sure. and he has one. Uh, I guess he had two mistakes. He dropped the ball in the, the pass, but literally they, they, they finally get a turnover at the end and they still, the Eagles win. Anyway, that was, uh, that was tough. So, yeah, no, but look, I am very focused on that. I understand that there are a lot of people who, you know, they, they want to win with homegrown talent, with players that you, you love and enjoy watching. You want to watch players develop. You want to root for them. I get all of that. I'm not telling you you're wrong. You should enjoy sports however you want to enjoy sports. The way I view it is winning a freaking championship. Um, like I said, those moments, those memories last forever. And I think that Kevin Durant, even if he's only got three elite years left, Kevin Durant will do more to impact your championship odds in the next three years than Tyrese Maxey will in 10. And look, I don't that I don't even say that begrudging Tyrese Maxey. I love the kid. He's The way he's improved is tremendous. You should have a lot of confidence. And him going forward, there are two good options here. If this would actually be on the table, there's keeping Tyrese Maxey, good option. There's getting Kevin Durant, in my mind, an even better option. Uh, and yep. that's not to, you know, criticize Tyrese at all. It's just, this is a future Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever play the game. And he's still playing at that level. He is still playing when he's on the court. And I guess we can get into that because that's part of the equation here. But when he is on the court, he is still an MVP caliber player. You pair two of them alongside James Harden which is weird talking about James Harden being outside of that group, but he is right now. You pair two MVP caliber players, especially two that fit as well as, as Durant and Embiid do, you have a real legitimate chance to not just be in the conversation. They might be the favorites. because I, I think I think they, they would probably be the East favorites. I, yeah. I think I'd make them title favorites if they had Kevin Durant next year. And, and, they, he, and they didn't trade Embiid, obviously. Yeah. And like I said, Am I going to begrudge you if you, if you vandom it? No, it's just, this is, this is where I'm coming from. And when you look at it, like there's really only one legitimate asset the Sixers have to give up in this trade, which yes. is why we also don't think it's very likely. And that's Tyrese Maxey. They can't trade a pick until 2029. They can theoretically loosen the restrictions, the protections on the 2027 pick, which is right now top eight protected, which they would have to do anyway to trade that 2029 pick. They can't even swap 2024 or 2026 first round picks with, Brooklyn, because Brooklyn doesn't have first-round picks to swap, so they can't even throw pick swaps into a trade. I think maybe 2028, they can throw a pick swap in there, but they can't even really offer that as a lower-level form of draft pick compensation. There's just not... Matisse Thibel, wait, like... Wait, and, and here's the cherry on top. They're getting investigated for tampering, which <laughs> yeah. could theoretically hamstring them even farther than that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And I, I, you kind of make that joke of that guy pointing at his head. Well, you can't lose any more picks in tampering. <laughs> Michael Rubin, go out there and tamper your ass off with Kevin Durant because you have nothing left to lose. Roll safe. Yeah. One of my favorite memes. But look, 
there's just not, and people will get all like, well, I'm hearing Jaden Springer brought up. Jaden Springer sucks at basketball right now. Like, you're not worried about losing him. You're not worried about losing Matisse Thibel, who's a one-way player, hasn't improved in three years, and is one year away from his rookie-scale contract being up. Like, we're talking about Kevin Durant here. So yes, I would absolutely do the trade. Uh, Again, I understand some people who wouldn't. That's not my take on it. But I don't think it's going to end up happening because I think when you, when we're talking about this and you're essentially talking about from both teams' perspective, a one-for-one trade of Tyrese Maxey and Kevin Durant, as much as I like Tyrese Maxey, I think someone's going to step up the table and beat that offer. And that's going to include, you know, I don't think when you're in Brooklyn's shoes, you want to put all of your eggs in one basket in a trade like this. You want to get multiple assets and players back. And the Sixers just don't have a way to do that right now. Yep. And that's my take too. And I, uh, I get the injury idea with Durant. I get that. Uh, I'm not feeling great about like, I think for the Celtics, it's a legitimate question. Uh, if they should trade Jalen Brown, just because like, what does KD want? You know, like he, he basically built this team in Brooklyn. They did everything they asked of him. By the way, sure. some of the shit that he wanted was stupid. Like they wanted DeAndre, he wanted DeAndre Jordan yep. and Kenny Atkinson gets fired because he's like, Oh wait, this guy who's going to be in an all, an all-star in a year and a half. Oh yeah. He's better than him. And DeAndre Jordan should probably be out of the league. So star player is the most overrated general managers in the league. Not very good at it. Yeah. And you know, who knows what the, the impetus behind, I, I, you know, Steve Nash was his handpicked coach. Is this just a matter of him just trying to rattle the cage of the Brooklyn Nets publicly and just say like, look, I'll, I'll burn the house down and you know, all of those things. I I don't know. Uh, So, so I understand being uh, a little bit apprehensive from that standpoint, but Kevin Durant is one of the best five players in the league. Joel Embiid is probably one of the best five players in the league. He's, if even his detractors, like I'm saying six or seventh is the worst he could be. You have two of those. Nobody else yeah. has two of those. Yeah. So like you're in a, you're in a great spot. I, I think KD his, his injuries are, are worrisome, but when he's, when he plays, I, I don't really see him falling off a cliff in the next couple of years, at least like he just, he's not getting any shorter. He's not yeah, getting no. any less skilled. He's, he's still a great athlete. He's still uh I don't even know if it's like him just taking good care of his body. He just, I think the fact that he's such a skinny dude, like he, the wear and tear on his body is not uh, the same as it is for a lot of other players. So not, not carrying as much weight. So if he's, if he's healthy, then yeah, that would be, you know, I think for the next three years, you, if you didn't win a title with that nucleus, that would be a major disappointment. Cause I, I think you would, you would get like two or three great swings at it. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's why uh, you make the trade, but Hey, if, if you just want to watch Tyrese Maxey, I get that too. And I, I want to echo what you said too. There's like three or four guys where I say no brainer for Tyrese Maxey. He's really kind of up this game, but we're talking about Kevin fucking Durant. Here. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think you make the move. You know, he, he can, uh, he can consolidate his ownership with the union and go to a couple games down there. It's uh, have you noticed the, have you seen the, the videos online? Him and Harden are are pounding it up in uh, I think it was in Barcelona. They were in London at a Travis Scott concert. It seemed like, uh, I I guess whatever awkward feelings of Harden just saying like, get me the hell out of here. Didn't exactly last. Well, it's, it's weird because it seems like Kevin Durant and James Harden are still boys. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving obviously are. And, James Harden and Kyrie Irving obviously are not. 
And you're right. It, there's like no ill will. It seems like it seems like. Can you imagine if they didn't? Can you imagine if they didn't like each other? It's like I hate you, but there's nobody in Barcelona that's as good as you as basketball. I'm like let's <laughs> yeah. let's do some two a days and, uh, <laughs> and get ready for the season. <laughs> um, or maybe maybe he's asking Harden like, how do you how do you get out of here? How, how'd you do that? <laughs> no, Harden's good at that. Harden has some advice to offer on that one. Uh, fi- find a fat suit and don't care for a month. <laughs> well, and the other thing that Harden tells Durant, he's like, you got to get worse at basketball a little bit. You're, you're a little too good. Like, I, I'm very good. You are ridiculously good. And you also signed for a uh, a longer contract. So, but yeah, I, I agree with what you said, because when I'm just like ticking down the, uh, the player slash assets that the Sixers have, once you say Maxi and with the acknowledgement that there's not really going to be many picks available to Brooklyn. It just becomes a yes. I don't really know what to say. There's really nothing they can do to even make me squeamish about it. So I think Brooklyn is holding out for a little bit too much right now, because if a team is going to trade for Durant, he's not 23 years old. He's he's 33 years old. He, uh, you need to have stuff left over that is good enough to compete for a title. Uh, I think Brooklyn is asking for a little bit too much. They're not going to get, I don't think they're going to get what they gave up for Harden. For instance, I, I really, I, I almost think the, uh, the merry-go-round, like the, the music has stopped the musical chairs with the Gobert trade. I'm not sure they're going to get quite as much. So, but, I, but I do think they'll get more than what the Sixers can offer. What the Sixers have is a lot less than those packages. And I think somebody will step up to the plate, whether it's, I mean, like you just mentioned that Jalen Brown package. I think that beats the Sixers pretty easily yeah. in, in my unbiased opinion. I think Tyrese Max is awesome, but Jalen Brown, two-way wing. I guess there is a little bit of a flight risk. Maybe you can sign Tyrese Max to a longer contract, but. Well, and you still have know. two years of Tyrese being super cheap too. Yep. Which helps. Yeah. So, so look, the Sixers do have that in there uh, on that aspect, but like you still got to deal with two years of Tobias and Tobias helps, but I mean, that's still not a positive value contract for sure. So. No, uh, like I said, I, I get, I get a lot of the concern. I get even, even a lot of people who are, yeah, I do the trade, but I'd cry while doing it because you don't want to give up Tyrese. I get that. That's I get fair. concern yeah. over, you know, Durant being a GM. Uh, and you hope that with the team mostly in place here and with a, a, a you know, very stable GM and a superstar already in place, that wouldn't happen. You never really know. I get concerns over the injury and the age, although, you know, we're seeing with, you know, Steph and with Chris Paul, like aging and LeBron, quite frankly, like age, what we, how we viewed aging a couple of years back isn't necessarily the way it always is. Um, we're seeing superstars be superstars well into their mid thirties. And KD's get, a better shooter than LeBron. Yeah. So that's like what, that's the tool you need to age well. <laughs> no, I, th- I think he's going to age relatively well, all things considered. Yeah. Um, I get all those concerns. And I get looking at, you know, looking at the Nets and saying like, well, you're basically rebuilding Nets with Joel Embiid. It didn't work out there. How do you have any guarantee it's going to work out here? You don't. You don't ever have any guarantee. But you have to take those swings, I think. And it's scary. And it could all fall apart very quickly in the blink of an eye. It's Kevin Durant. Yeah, I, I take a chance. Um, but I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think the Sixers have what it takes. So we will transition to a second part of this podcast, which will be a couple of quick mailbag questions. Still fun to talk about, though. Oh, yeah. No, it's fun to talk about. I, I'd enjoy watching a team that good. I'd quite frankly enjoy going covering an NBA Finals. That would be great. 
Uh, imagine imagine, imagine that. that. Yeah. Yeah. KD and Joel at the four and five. Whoa. Oh man. Probably like Shea, they'd lose some of their depth in that trade. I feel like Shake would take on the the Mario Chalmers role sure. almost from the uh, from Heat. And by the way, I I think he'd be fine at it. Yeah. They, they'd just be an awesome team. Okay. Sorry. All right. So this one um, from John. Thoughts on the fifth starter? Who should it be? Who will it be? And will it be the same guy on opening day as it is to start the playoffs? So I think who should it be is a more interesting question. I'm pretty sure it's going to be PJ Tucker. Just because like, look, he's, he's making that much money and there, there is a legitimate reason behind it. You, you paid the guy to guard the other team's best players. Yep. Well, the other team's best players start the game. That's they do. They do tend to do that. Yeah. If the NBA, if the NBA starts, if Kevin Durant starts coming off the bench for whatever the hell team <laughs> he plays for, then, then maybe we'll have a, uh, a discussion, but the the type of players that you acquired PJ Tucker to uh, to stop generally start the game. So there is a reason, but I, I do think when you look at the Sixers starting lineup, you, of course you have, I mean the other four guys are penciled in. You have the two small guards in the backcourt, then you have Joel, but then when when you slot Tucker in there, it's like ah, I think at at his best he's a four. Again, we sure. we can, yep. we can go crazy talking about positions and and what really matters. But on the bigger side, well, Tobias Harris at his best is also a four. That's sure just what he is. So, is there a a chance that like maybe you say like, hey, like against some teams, like would you start Daniel House? Maybe would you start? I don't think you'd start DeAnthony Melton because we talked about. I just don't like him playing with the two small guards. I don't like that quite as much. Maybe he tried out once in a while, but not right in the, yeah. not in the starting lineup though, on a consistent basis. Then you have Matisse. Like, look, I, I don't think Matisse in the regular season with those four players, like, oh, they're gonna be bad. No, they're gonna score a billion points and they're gonna outscore their opponents by a billion points. It's pretty, it's pretty proven when you look at the five man unit numbers. So uh I generally think it's going to be Tucker for both of those questions. I definitely think it's going to be Tucker come playoff time. The one thing I I will say that is I'm interested with Tucker is could he play a little backup center when it actually matters? And does that change how he gets subbed at the beginning of the game? That's my one kind of hang up on that. Yeah, no, I think you pretty much hit it right on it. You're like, he is brought here for his defense and for his versatility and the way he can lock down other teams, go-to scores. You want to maximize the amount of time he's on the court with those go-to scores. They tend to start the game in the third quarter, put him in there to start. And look, he started for the most part. Uh, I think he was coming off the bench for the bucks up until the playoffs. I think there was an injury that vaulted him into that starting line. Outside of that, he's been a starter for a bunch of really good teams. There was one year just because I did a, a ton of research on it. The 27, 18 rockets who won six, 65 games. He, uh, I think he was over 40 games off the bench for that group. Right. If you remember, they started in Bob Mute and Ariza. But he, he, he did start for them on a couple of their 51 teams, at least one of their 51 teams. He yes. started for the Heat, who went to the uh, conference finals this past year. He started for the Bucks in the playoffs when they made their finals run. Uh, very memorably was the guy that Kevin Durant shot over that would have won the game, but he had a foot on the line and could have, we could be having completely different conversations if that shot, if he was a foot farther back on that shot. Uh, which is uh, uh, the way that there's always a little bit of survivorship bias when we talk about these uh, super teams or super teams that were not 
but he's started on a lot of really good teams that have had a lot of a lot of success in playoff runs. And we talk about a coach in Doc Rivers who values that kind of experience and versatility and defense. And also, by the way, you can stick him in the corner and he can open up, um, you know, the lane for your best players. And that's one thing, too. Like, there are typically two concerns I hear when people talk about P.J. Tucker in the starting lineup. There's, first of all, like, he's getting old. Maybe you want to decrease wear and tear. I, I get that. And, and look, he's played fewer NBA minutes than a lot of these guys because he played so long overseas. They have shorter seasons over there. But age is still age. At some point, like, those years will catch up to him. But I think if that happens and he shows signs, you limit his minutes more than you worry about him coming off the bench or starting. I think we make too much of the starting thing in that regard. And the other concern is that Tobias plays better when he's a four, which offensively I agree with. But to me, your maxim- your goal is to maximize Harden and Embiid, not necessarily to maximize Harris. And a dead-eye three-point, corner three-point shooter is better in the starting lineup than even Daniel House, who's a, a good shooter, but not quite as good or at least not quite as good with his feet cemented in the corner, and certainly a better shooter than Matisse Leibel. I just think it's going to be his spot to lose. Yeah, the uh, and because of that corner three-point shooting, the the reason you're concerned about Tobias, if you're just looking back at recent Sixers history, is, oh man, 2019-20, that offense was super ugly. I think because of that three-point shooting, Tucker just brings you more space than Al Horford did. Not, not to mention you have Tyrese Maxey and James Harden where uh, your uh, your point guard was running snug pick and rolls back then too. So, you know, the... the well, spacing... and your other guy was freaking Richardson who was, you know, dribbling into 20-footers that he had no chance of making. And taking seven seconds to do so yeah. too. Yeah. He, uh, and look, you also have a better Joel too. So I, I definitely think the geometry of the court with this crew is a lot different. The I guess the the other reason you might consider not starting Tucker now that I think about it is uh, you, you do want to keep his minutes down though. And like, w- would it be a matter of okay, we want you for the end of games, you know, in the regular season? Because I think he played twenty eight minutes a game last year. I think that's the max you want him to play yeah. in the regular season. Like you, you basically are are paying this guy for playoff minutes. The, those key. You know, when he ran over the Sixers for all those offensive rebounds, that's what he's getting all the money for. So, and because they have enough depth in their lineup, you know, I wonder if the Sixers are going to fiddle with that. Like maybe I definitely do think he's going to start though. Uh, I guess from what I said though, the backup center option is probably something you're going to see less of in the regular season because if if you play 28, 25 minutes a game, all right. You want him to gain some chemistry with the starters. Right. If you've got the sixth, the first, six in the third, and then the sixth to end the game, you don't have all that many for him to play backup center. Yeah. I, I do think that'll be an interesting subplot, though, come season, because, like, no, you don't want to pull that out at all times, but you want to experiment with that once in a while, though, for sure. You want to see what that looks like before the playoffs with some of the lineups they could throw out. I mean, they could throw out, like, they could throw out Harden, Melton, House, Harris. And and Tucker, like that's you could switch one to five with that for the most part. So uh, maybe Melton would be the one guy who who would not be loving that. But if DeAnthony Melton's your least switchable defender, you got a pretty good crew yeah. there. So that's something you got to look for. It, it will be interesting to see how Doc uses his minutes. But I, I think the answer to all the questions are are going to be PJ Tucker for the most part. No, I agree there. All right, the second question here coming from uh, Francis. He, he asked whether we thought it was more likely uh, they would get the roster down from 16-15 by a trade or by waiving someone. 
And then the second part of the question is, if it is being waived, who do you think is the odd man out? Yeah, I got this question a couple of weeks ago too. I think it's probably by waving somebody. Uh, it's like look the way I possible. answer it. It's just easier because you don't need another team to agree to it. Like you can do that by yourself. And you know, look, they're still dealing with this hard cap too. We're probably talking about lower salaries, so the matching might not be quite as much of an issue. But it's still something they have to pay attention to for sure. Uh, yeah, and it's something that they can do uh, pretty easily. So yeah, I, I would definitely say waving somebody is the most likely option. And then who? So there's there's a couple main candidates. I would I'll lump the two backup centers into one in Charles Bassey and Paul Reed. I don't think it's going to be either of them. In fact, when I wrote about it, I didn't even really mention them because I do think they need two stylistically different backup centers. Uh, Paul Reed, the more proven one, but Charles Bassey, the bigger one. And then you had Trevlin Queen, Isaiah Joe, and I threw in Jaden Springer as sort of a curveball, even though I don't think it will be him. Who would you pick out of those five names? Who would I pick? Well, I didn't draft well, 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 both. Who do you? Who would you pick if you were GM? And who do you think they will pick? <laughs> yeah, because that's a, that's a different answer. Since I didn't draft him, I think Jaden Springer would might be the guy I would get rid of. So here, here's the thing: I need to learn more about Trevel and Queen. You know, they gave him this. Uh, you know, they gave him this slightly guaranteed contract deal. I think three hundred thirty k guaranteed, and he was bad in summer league. He, was he bad. just. Just didn't make any shots. Obviously, it was the G League MVP. Not only did he not make shots, but like his decision making in the pick and roll, I was very disappointed in. Like he as a pick and roll passer, I looked this up. This this and again, you yell at me for using summer league stats, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> as a pick and roll ball handler, he had nearly as many turnovers as he had made shots and assists combined. Now, some of that is, you know, you don't have a lot of talent there to make those shots. I get that. Some of those turnovers were freaking his timing on passes was bad. His reads and decision-making was bad. He did not look comfortable as a pick and roll ball handler. And for a guy who scored, what do you score? 22 points per game in the G league last year. It just shows you what happens in the G league. Doesn't always translate to the NBA or even to summer league in, in this instance, especially offensively. And he kind of seems like maybe he put up a little bit of Paul Reed esque G league numbers where he can score in that competition. But, I don't really know if I can count on any of that translating. Should do the earmuffs with me from old school when, uh, when summer league stats are going to get mentioned. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I agree with you. He was, he was just bad. And look, it, it's a, it's a small sample. I don't want to read too much into it because Isaiah Joe, who I was generally down on played really well in the summer league. And, you know, he's, I don't actually know how old queen is off the top of my head, but you know, 25, I think, I think. Okay, so he's even older than Isaiah Joe. Uh, but obviously another experienced player, and, and he played well. But yeah, I mean, he was better than than Queen in the Summer League. I, I think he provides the Sixers at least with the, the potential to be like a specialist when uh, when there are some injuries during the regular season, come in the game, bang a couple threes, that'll be good. Uh, so I, I am a little bit down on Queen after the, uh, the Summer League. So I, I, I think it's probably going to be him. You know, I, I, I would, that would be my, my guess, uh, of the rest of that crew. Uh, like you said earlier, don't think it can be Bassier or Reed unless you bring somebody else in. Yeah. I just, in which you, case I think you're you, probably going to have to wave two people in. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm fine with them rolling with those two. Bassie did not play great in the summer league, but I, I still think he can, he can be an okay player. Yeah. 
uh, it's funny. He's been working out with, uh, with Harden, those, uh, those Rico Hines runs out at, uh, in that UCLA gym where they always practice. Uh, so he's been, uh, I've noticed watching some of the Harden highlight films that Bassie has been out there as well. I just, I feel like with his ability to get up for lobs, that feels like a, a pretty good fit. Um, you know, it could be Isaiah Joe if, if he doesn't play well, but if I had to guess right now, what I would do Springer queen, what I think it'll be is queen. If, if you're going to make me pick. Yeah. I think coming into the summer after they signed queen, you know, first of all, I, I thought cross two big men off the board. You just don't have the depth. And quite frankly, they've shown more than uh, most of these people. Anyway, cross them off. They need them. I sort of crossed off Springer just because teams don't normally admit defeat this early in a young player's career, especially not a first round pick. That would be different. Yeah. And then I, I thought, well, they gave queen a guaranteed contract for a reason. So they clearly want to see what he has. So it's almost Isaiah Joe by process of elimination, but then Jane Springer was so disappointing in the summer league and queen was disappointing as well. Maybe not to the same degree, but you're, I mean, you're talking about a guy who will be 26 here in February. He should have been dominating. He should have been, he should have been better. And I think, I still think queen, if you were looking at one player who, if everything goes right, has a chance to somewhat hold up on both ends of the court, it's probably queen. But I think Joe's shooting just intrigues me more and his gravity and his movement just intrigues me more as a player who with that 15th roster spot has a chance to not a likely chance, but has a chance to unexpectedly pop. And for a team that quite frankly has more wing depth than maybe I would have expected when this offseason began. I'm just not desperate to find like a guy who might be a, you know, two way guy. If you really, really squint, but isn't really, um, I would aim for the higher upside. And I think right now that's Isaiah Joe. Uh, I would probably if it were me wave queen as well. I don't know what I think it could, it would probably come down to Queen or Joe for what the Sixers will do. I'm not 100% sure I have a good read on that, but I could see it being Queen. And here's the thing people are going to say, like, oh, well, they wouldn't have given him, you know, $300,000 guarantee just to waive him. But when you look at it because of, of weird tax stuff, so basically, if, in terms of a tax hit, every minimum contract is adjusted to being a two-year veteran uh, minimum because veteran minimum changes based on uh, years of experience, but they don't want that years of experience being the reason that you, you know, sign a, a younger player than a veteran. So, so basically everybody's, everybody's a second year player. Basically. Right. Basically. So queen, because he only has one year of experience, his tax hit is actually increased. If he stays on the roster, uh, I think it's about a $200,000 tax variance. So he would end up costing in luxury tax payments, $200,000 more than if you just add his salary in there. So there, there's really not that much difference to keeping, like basically there will be, they will save some of that $300,000 uh, in guaranteeing queen. If they waive him is I guess sort of the long way of me getting it. Yeah. And I, I think you mentioned it earlier too. The idea that he was the G league MVP. That's, that's great. But Bassie put up massive numbers in the G league as well. Paul Reed is, is dominant. You got to be careful. Sometimes the, the G League, the transition is not always one for one. Yeah. It often is, actually. So, like, look, I, again, I, I had not really paid a lot of attention to the Rio Grande Valley Vipers in the past couple of years. 
but yeah, he needs to show a lot more than uh, than he did. I, I mean, on merit, Isaiah Joe should be ahead of him after that summer league. But who knows? You know, maybe when training camp rolls around or preseason, although Mr. Isaiah Joe's Mr. Preseason too, so it might might be tough for uh, for Queen now playing there too. No, I agree there. Um, yeah, no, Joe was very good in the preseason last year when you're not going to get any regular season games uh, to go on until you have to make the decision. So we'll see. Uh, it is both interesting that they have an actual conversation here where I feel like in, in certainly when we started this podcast, well, actually we started this podcast pre-podcast or pre-process. So they would have had some deep teams, but we don't usually have to argue over the 15th roster spot. Um, now it seems like they could actually waive someone who you have a little bit of interest in, <clears throat> which is weird for this franchise. All right. So this one is from Drew. What do you think is the most underrated and underdiscussed element in the game of basketball? Uh, he brings up team fouls, basically saying that players who generate fouls are undervalued in the way we talk about the game. You go first. So I, I think he actually brings up a pretty good one, both in terms of players who, who draw fouls being underrated, but also I think we can, you know, there was a lot of talk last year in the playoffs. Well, you know, Paul Reed's not going to foul out in eight minutes. You only need eight minutes out of Paul Reed. Well, <laughs> but you also like, you don't want him getting you into the penalty two minutes beforehand and not having a foul to give in the final two minutes too. Like fouls still do matter. It's not just he being did able to play eight to 10 minutes or whatever. So I think, I think he's right in sort of like two different angles on that one. A couple of years ago, I would have said that turnovers, you know, I thought that we overrated turnovers in part because some of the ways to prevent turnovers were as destructive, if not more than the turnovers themselves. I think that has mostly been corrected. And quite frankly, now I think some people might underrate turnovers and have gone a little bit too far in that. Uh, I can give you, I think shooting is still by a lot of people. I think shooting is still underrated by a lot of people. And this is probably one question I should have spent a little more time thinking of. I just sort of threw it in here at the end, but I think a lot of people, like I was talking to somebody about Matisse Thibault and they're like, well, if, if he makes, you know, 10 more threes next year and is all of a sudden shooting 36%, is he now playable? And no, not really. Like the numbers on shooting don't matter nearly as much as how a defense reacts to it which is why shooting off movement, shooting off of screens, shooting from deep, shooting when contested, all of that matters. It's not just a percent. And I think we look at the percent way too much and not the overall gravity. I feel like a couple of years ago, half decade ago, whatever it is, when we started really focusing on gravity, like we sort of like tried to make progress on this front, but it feels like a lot of the discussion has sort of reverted back to just talking about the numbers. I think we underrate in a weird way, maybe not underrate, but talk poorly about shooting and spacing still. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's important. It's like, uh, I think I was listening to Zach Lowe a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about Isaac Okoro where uh, he shoots like 40% from the corners or, or high thirties or something like that. But there is a, a tracking stat where if you look at the amount of space he has on those catches where he's just like, check the wind, he's wide open on those shots. It's actually not a great percentage considering he's shooting a very low volume of yeah. those shots as well. That that's the type of stuff I like where it's like, all right, the numbers are are important, but now we're starting to get these tracking numbers that are starting to tell us how, you know, how do you get to that, that shooting percentage? And it, it kind of reminds me, I'm, I'm going to pick on Simmons a little bit here, Ben Simmons and, and Rondo, where I always felt, I thought you were going on Bill Simmons. That would have been real interesting. No. Sp- spicing up this podcast a little bit. I'll, p- I'll pick on him for stealing sh- stealing shield from us. But, uh, <laughs> he, uh, I-, I just think uh, when you look at 
Simmons and, and Rondo, those guys, when they had their gaudy assist totals and the, the time of possession that they have and the, uh, I think throw Russell Westbrook into this category oh as God, well yeah. too. The, the time of possession and the gravity that they have where a lot of their passes, I felt like were to JJ Redick or Ray Allen off movement or, you know, to Paul Pierce or Joel Embiid who were these great scorers. Anyway, I think a combination of gravity and kind of time of possession, how are you getting uh, those shots? And also the, the other thing I would say about Rondo a little bit too, those Celtics teams were never good offensively. They were great defensive teams, but they were like, you know, average to a little below average offensively. And by the way, the Sixers with Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons, they never got above like eighth, ninth, something like that. So you you have these heliocentric players like Luca and Harden when he was when he was really hard and, you know, they would have the ball the entire game, but they would also produce kind of these top three, four offenses or whatever. So I, yeah, I think what's probably undervalued is like what you're doing when you have the ball in your hands and how the defense is reacting to you. And that's stuff that, by the way, that I think through video analysis and like some of the second spectrum stuff that I don't have any access to, we're getting better at quantifying or at least talking about, but uh, yeah, I definitely think those things are still undervalued. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And going to your point about how you get there, like part of this discouraging thing about Matisse is they leave him open all game. 
gets the easiest shots in the league, and he's still shooting 32% on a low volume. Um, if he ever starts making a couple, they'll just, you know, take it, close out just a tiny bit towards him, and then he's just passing up those shots. Uh, and he's still compromising your spacing. So I think the way we talk about shooting can definitely be improved. Especially uh, with somebody like Matisse. He's kind of like a Coro where you look at the percentages, like he could shoot 40. It was his rookie year. He was, he was 40%, but it wasn't a lot of volume. And it, there was, you know, there's right to be skeptical considering how people were guarding. Him. Yep. And he was very, very streaky. Like I remember he was, he shot like, like 31% to start the year. And then he had like a month stretch stretch where he shot like, 42% then he went back yeah. and shot 30% and just very up and down. And like, I don't buy this even a little bit, but I'm hopeful <laughs> because he's young. He's a really good defender. And that hope ended up being squashed pretty, pretty quickly. All right. I think, um, any other sort of thoughts you have here before we get going, you've got Harden and Durant palling it up across the <laughs> pond, a little bit of unexpected drama here in mid August, which is the second year that there's been some unexpected NBA drama in mid-August. At least this year, the Sixers are only indirectly related to it, not directly related to it. It's a little different, but uh, a <laughs> lot going on. And, me, and there's still Donovan Mitchell just hanging out there, too. Yeah, and I think he's going to end up on the Knicks at some point. Although, you know, Danny Ainge can't can't lose a trade, can't get less than than you got for Gobert. Uh, good, good luck doing that. I think yeah. the Knicks are... I actually think the Knicks are being smart, knowing that their, their B offer is probably going to be better than everybody else's a offer i guess last question on durant where where do you see this going i actually think they're not going to trade him i think they're gonna stand off yeah i think i think i would be surprised if he's traded before camp let's put it that way um now if he doesn't show up if he applies leverage if he makes it uncomfortable do they have the stomach to go through what the sixers did last year we'll see and they're in a very different spot because without kevin durant they're not a contender um so there's to me i think there there, i've seen People comment on this two different ways. Some people say like, well, they're not a contender, so they have to make a move to keep their fan base interested. And then there's the way I would approach. It was, well, you're not a contender, so I'm not going to rush myself into a trade that will get us back up to like a borderline playoff team. Like that doesn't seem very meaningful to me. I want to make sure if I'm going to have to be forced into this trade, I need to nail it. I would hold out if I were them. Um, And whether or not that is, you know, something happening to change the status quo, like what happened with the Sixers and Ben Simmons and having another team sort of like collapse, whether that is some team just coming to the realization that, oh my God, with Kevin Durant, we have a chance to really contend for a championship. Let's up our offer. I think eventually they will get a better offer than what they're getting now. I think it makes 100% sense for them to wait until that comes to be because at the end of the day, they're still holding Kevin Durant and we'll see whether or not they have the stomach to do that, but I think that's what probably ends up happening. Me too. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. And also, if you have any questions, you know, send us a mailbag question, mailbag at SixersBeat.com. You can also just add us on Twitter, whether that's main Sixers Beat account or Rich or I, you know where to find us. Send us your mailbag questions. We will talk to, talk about them on a future podcast. See you, man. Yep. Take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.